Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking about ad fraud. Now, ad fraud is a multi billion dollar problem that a lot of people don't really want to see get solved. You see, when you run an internet ad campaign or you participate in an affiliate network, some of the clicks or the installs you pay for are from people actually interested in your product or service. But a lot of them are bots that are simply scamming money for the site owners. In fact, a surprising number of ad clicks are bots. Internet advertising is a $280 billion global business. And estimates are that between 25% to 50% of it is fraud. Well, today, we're going to sit down with someone who's doing something about that. Satoko Otsuki founded Fibit to combat ad fraud, and it's become the largest ad fraud detection service in Japan. Satoko and I talk about how Fibit is using artificial intelligence to combat the seemingly endless stream of online ad fraudsters, the challenges she faced raising money as a woman founder in Japan, and how you, yeah, you in particular, might be helping out the ad fraud scammers without even knowing it. But you know, Satoko tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So, cheers. Cheers. So, I'm sitting here with Satoko Otsuki of Fibit.、Mm-hmm. So, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, too. Thank you for your time. Fibit makes Spider AF.、Yeah. And the AF stands for anti fraud? Ad fraud? Ad fraud. Ad fraud. So, let me introduce what is ad fraud first. Ad fraud is、uh, it's exactly like、uh, it's written like、uh, advertisement fraud. For example, if I was a blogger, I will put some ad- advertisement spot inside of my blog. And if you saw my blog and click the ads, I will get like,、uh, some like 10 yen or $1 or something like that. If I was a malicious actor, I will try to abuse it to steal the revenue, right? Right, so, it's, so ad fraud is basically people clicking on online banners and things, but not real customers. Yeah. Bots, or、exactly. things like that. Yeah, to steal revenue. This、okay. is ad fraud. And now our service, SpyDave, ad fraud prevention tool. Okay. And you guys released a white paper recently、yeah. where you're saying that in Japan, a huge amount of traffic. Is ad fraud.、Mm-hmm. And it was like almost 20%. Yep. So, does that mean like in Japan, 20% of advertising clicks are bots and fakes and scams? Of course, 20% is very big, but、um, compared to the global market, it has a kind of same amount of、uh, ad fraud or even more. Okay. Well, we'll get into the, the details of how the fraud works and the different k i n d of scams a bit later. But before we do that, tell me about your customers.、Yep. So, are you selling to、uh, ad networks and affiliate networks, or are you selling to 
people running websites to make sure that they're not uh, getting scammed by their advertisers. Our service is special for our networks and affiliate networks, yes, and also advertisers. Okay, so, so it's both sides. It's yes. the ad networks themselves and the people who buy ads. And what is your monetization model? How much does it cost? Is it like a monthly SaaS service? Yep, monthly SaaS service based on the, their traffic. So like about how much would it cost? For networks from 200,000 yen to 700,000 or something. So about uh, $1,600 to around $6,000 for a network per month. Yeah, for advertisers, it's going to be a bit more cheaper. And it's quite a range for individual sites. So I guess the idea is that they save much more than that by reducing the yep. ad fraud. Exactly. Okay. Well, listen, before we get into the details of ad fraud and the different kinds of scams, let's back up a bit and talk about you. Me. You. So when you started FIBIT, you were getting your master's in atomic physics yep. at Tokyo Metropolitan University, right? And you actually started FIBIT while you were still in school? No, just when we finished university, I graduated at March. And then I started FIBIT in April. And you started with a lot of your friends from university, right? Yeah. And a bunch of physics majors. Not, not everyone is from same atomic physics. Some uh -huh. people from like a space area. Uh, some people from like several type of physics. And, and at first you were just doing like contract development for other yep. companies? Because at the time, we never work in another company, so we didn't know what is business card even, right? Well, and it's, it's hard to get a job in physics. I was a physics major myself. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. undergraduate. But, but physics is sort of like, it's almost like the liberal arts of the sciences. You, yeah. You know a little exactly. bit about everything. Yeah, so most of my friends, they're still working in university. So, so why did you and your fellow physics majors decide to start a software company instead of doing physics? It's honestly it's a very funny story. It was 2011. At the time, the Japanese government decided to start to make so much budget for not only physics, scientists, or mathematics, everything. So many friends, PhD friends, lost job because of that. And... Uh, Probably we are drinking alcohol and uh, we are just joking, like a complaining, like, but uh, they cut it out. Well, yeah, that, that Japan had always funded a lot of basic research. You know, they, they funded exactly. fundamental research exactly. really, really heavily, yeah. and they've they, cut back in the last 10 years. Yes, 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 that's right. So we complain about it, but some of my friends who already worked at the time, he, he said, like, um, okay, you guys could get money with, uh, like, uh, what you want to do. Of course, like, we are drunk, so we decided, <laughs> like, okay, let's do that. So now <laughs> we are here. <laughs> so did you all have basic programming skills from university? Unfortunately, <laughs> usually, yeah, we have a very basic programming skill, but not that much. So how did you, how did you get your first contract if you have a bunch of, you know, very smart people with some basic like hacking skills and, and some really solid physics knowledge, which is useless outside of the laboratory. <laughs> how, how did you get your first contract? First contract is we need to make some iPad application with for education for kids, I think. 
But like the, the iPad programming environment, that must have been like brand new to you guys. So did you just start studying again? Yeah, but please remember about it. You know, 10 years ago, just iPhone came or Android came in Japanese market. So nobody can do that in any case. That's true. So it was new to everybody. Yep. Yeah. So Actually, that's why. That is one thing I, I do think physics teaches you. It teaches you how to like learn yep. continuously. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And so you're obviously successful with that. You got more and more contracts. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to launch an ad fraud prevention tool? By chance. <laughs> By chance? Honestly, like three years ago, well, my friend, he gave me advice. Why don't you use it for ad fraud? Because uh, ad fraud is also big data. Many people need such an automation tool. What was the initial reaction? I mean, did, did people understand that ad fraud was a problem or did you have to like go to the networks and to the customers and, and educate them about ad uh, fraud? In this case, uh, okay. everyone knew the problem. Not only that, at the time, like, uh, we had some contract development with an advertisement company already. So we knew this problem as well. Okay, so the experience you got from the contract work led naturally yeah, to this. That's, that's exactly. you know, I think that's like almost every software development company, that's like their dream. You know, they they want to find this one project that they can turn into a product and you guys have actually done it. Finally. Finally. After nine years. <laughs> <laughs> it took a while, but you've done it. Okay, let let's actually let's dive into ad fraud. I know there's lots of different kinds of ad fraud, but can you walk me through an example? Can you give me an example of a really typical type of ad fraud? This easy way is uh, just clicking on blog advertisement. Like five years ago, there's many click farms in uh, China. So for example, would the scammer, would he register as like an affiliate on an affiliate network or would he put up a, a fake site that people would put banners on? It really depends. Like some people will make a thousand or more website by themselves or in Japan, what was trendy at the time was like asking many guys to build their own website and ask them to put a botnet in their website. Then they will make a click in China and send it in Japan. Oh, so it looks like the clicks are coming from Japan? Yeah, and because we have to use Japanese IP, right? Or like, but recently it's going to be more like a high level. People will not make even website, just they will fake our click log. Even if I don't um, create the website, they will send click log to other server. How much money are the scammers making per click? It really depends. Some uh, banner cost like uh, $0.1 or even less. But uh, for financial things or like uh, for house, probably it costs like uh, $30,000. Yeah. So $250 or so per click. Or something like that. Okay, well, that's, that's valuable. I could see it's easy to make money paying people just to click <laughs> on that. Yes. Is this something that, that's a problem on, like, the major ad networks as well, like Google and Facebook, or is it only the smaller ones that have this problem? I'm not sure I should answer that. 
that. We won't talk about Google or Facebook specifically, but let's just talk about the, the big ad networks as a whole. <laughs> uh, usually, even big ad networks is still ad network. For example, that kind of big ad networks doesn't know like uh, some like Japanese market. I mean, like uh, for example, in Japan, nobody buy device except Docomo shop or AU shop, SoftBank shop, right? Yeah, right. But doesn't they don't know that if the Samsung from Docomo shop or Amazon, how the ratio it should be? How does Spider AF? detect the fraud? What is it looking for? So, I mean, you mentioned whether the phone was acquired from a, a retail shop or Amazon as an indicator of possible fraud. What other kinds of things do you look at? We are looking at how big different with uh, normal Japanese distribution, market distribution. And not only is that like the frequency of quick impression or installs and how much times. So, for example, like... Um, the usage patterns of yeah. of the people, how how frequently they click. Yeah, we will check. Honestly, we will check many many type of metrics. Okay, if you've detected fraud or you've you've detected a pattern that that looks like fraud, what does the advertiser do? So, I mean, can they go to Facebook and Google and say, "Hey, this looks like fraud. Give me my money back." Yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah. Honestly, right now how we are operating is exactly like you said. We will send a report and they will give back money. Or usually for Japanese networks, they will not ask uh, invoice even for such a traffic. Really? So the ad networks have been really supportive of this and, yeah, and refunding the money? Already... In terms of Japanese market, of, uh, we are top share. So most of networks is our customers. So they will not uh, ask you such uh, extra money. And recently we started to expand it to several like, global networks. So. Well, no, because that, that is an interesting dynamic that happens here because there, there is, there's kind of a financial incentive for the ad networks not to want to solve this problem too quickly mm-hmm. because the ad networks also make money from the fraud, right? Yeah, but recently things get changed a lot. For example, like uh, Cheetah Mobile in China got rejected from Google because of ad fraud problem. Uh-huh. Some other networks are fighting in the court with Uber in the United States because of ad fraud problem. This um, makes sense even it kills uh, some amount of revenue. Okay, so I guess it's the, the problem's gotten... I mean, this ad fraud has been a problem for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's finally gotten big enough and enough people yeah. understand it. Yeah that they have to take action? I think, yeah, the market is, right now the market is already enough matured. All right. Actually, the, the term AI is used a lot these days. Mm-hmm. So is Spider AF like a pure AI or is it more a heuristic system? It's a good question. Sometimes, like as much as people will try to avoid our detection, if they find such a type of things, they will make same type of model for thousand or even more. So, but at the time, machine learning will work well because machine learning will get such a similarity, right? Couldn't a a ad fraud scammer just sign up for your software and? 
yes. think you have such a ex experience as well. Yeah. Like few months ago, we found some AdFraud website which has our tags, and we banned the uh, customer. Well, you can't you can't blame them for trying. That was a clever thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Huh. Okay. So the scammers are. You know, I mean, they're smart people. Yep. Well, how how do the the ad fraud scammers respond to this once they've been found? Do they just buy a new site? Do they just get a new provider? It, it sounds a lot like like whack a mole. Like it's exactly though. <laughs> it's exactly. It's like a mogul tataki. Exactly. They are everywhere. Like some publisher will do such a fraudulent tracing, and also like they are putting some bot traffic with organic traffic. So. It's really, really, really depends. And sometimes, half a year ago, we found very big ad fraud application, and they had installed hundred thousand people in Japan, and in a global more than Japanese human. <laughs> really? But, so millions of people. So yeah, but uh, in the application, we found uh, ad fraud malware. So everywhere. <laughs> That's tens of millions of dollars in scam revenue, exactly. in ad fraud revenue. Exactly. So that's why recently, like United States, ad fraud became like second revenue or second income for mafia or <laughs> for organized crime. Yeah, or getting yeah, it. So, so who are the ad fraud scammers? Are they inside Japan? Are they outside Japan? Is it where? Where are they? Who are they? In terms of Japanese market, I think sixty or seventy percent is not Japanese. Fortunately, Japanese organized crimes doesn't have so much high skill. The yakuza are not. They're they're very traditional. They're not tech savvy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, such a, if it's such a rebel, most of Japanese networks already saved it or killed them. But honestly, the global people is very, very smart. Every day, I feel like, a, I think like a, even 20% is uh, not that much. <laughs> I don't know, but really, really, they're smart. It sounds like you have kind of respect for their, their skill <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know why they don't use the skill for much. Something more productive. <laughs> so, but are they coming? Are they coming from China or Russia or Australia? Or, or I mean, do you even not yeah, know? Yeah, but or? recently we found a lot from the United States. So, oh. not only China or Russia. Every ad network has the option to only restrict to Japanese IPs, but I guess the. The ad fraud scammers are smart enough to be able to to fake spoof it, an IP yes. and fake an IP, so it looks like the traffic's in Japan. Especially recently, we have many IoT things, pet monitoring or car monitoring tools. So these uh, devices where we for security. So wait a minute. So the scammers are hijacking pet monitors to make it look like clicks are coming from within Japan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, no, no. IoT is—it's everywhere. There, yeah. there's far more IoT devices than like real computer devices, and IoT security is awful. Exactly. Okay. Wow, I did not expect that as like the attack vector for ad fraud. Okay. 
when I was doing my research for this, mm-hmm. this interview and our discussion, so I, I read a lot of the interviews you've given, and there are, in fact, a lot of women founders in Japan. But the press tends to treat them as they are, as if they're unique and unusual. <laughs> yeah, it's a women's entrepreneurs are very rare in Japan. And not only that, I'm trying to raise yeah. our fund right now. Right, right. I mean, like, uh, our company's Series A. But uh, sometimes I have like, some people who doesn't want to invest money to women entrepreneurs. It's a real thing. So I think still Japan has such a problem compared to global. <laughs> so is that, now th- this is something I actually have heard quite a bit. I mean, there, there are a lot of women entrepreneurs in Japan. Mm-hmm. But I- I've heard from a lot of them that fundraising is difficult. Yeah, and, and especially like if the amount of money became bigger, it's uh, gonna be even harder. And, and did the did like the VCs tell you that directly? Or? No, it's from be another guys or if uh, uh, the story which I had was from Cure and uh, VC. Cure and VC introduced me some another VC, and another VC said. They, he, they cannot say that to me directly, so they said to current VC, and current VC told me. So what did they say? So we don't want to invest with yes, a woman no, just, CEO? No, no, just they feel comfortable to pay. So if it's the same condition, they feel comfortable with guys found. But honestly, um, I think like uh, it could be helped because uh, we have several such a traditional things, and compared to India, our situation is even better, right? And uh, if we go out from ja- outside of Japan, uh, from Japan, I feel kind of same things because I'm Asian, right? Mm. Do you think there are also advantages of being a, a female founder in Japan? Uh, sometimes, yes. For example, for going to sales, if mm. you are young enough or if you're... Nah, it's not only Japan, but uh, if you're a woman, sometimes customer will choose us compared to guy, right? I have many negative points and also I feel positive points as well. Yeah, everything's kind of a balance, right? For example, like even for business dinner, if it's only guys' business dinner, they will they want to invite some women. Yeah, but uh, in terms of investment things, my advice for female entrepreneurs is uh, we have a kind of hunger for compared to guys, so just focus to get more revenue result. If you have enough revenue, you can get investment. I think that's good advice for anyone. If you've if you've got sales and you have customers, you can choose yep. among any VCs. Yes. yes. I think uh, this is the best way. <laughs> but you're also trying to balance the startup with a young family as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are very pretty. <laughs> That's why I can do my best. <laughs> yeah. So you have, you have two, two kids, right? A boy and a girl? Yeah. And how you know, they were. Uh, three boy, three years boy, and two years ago. So how do you how do you balance that? Because <laughs> being a mom to a three year old and a two year old is kind of a full time job, and and running a startup is more than a full time job. Yeah, but they are in uh, kindergarten right now, so we can keep ask them to keep kids from eight to eight or eight to seven every day. 
But uh, not only that, honestly, I think the best way is uh, not to manage people at all because I don't have time to do even management anyway. <laughs> I need to go back to home and take care of the kids. But that's, I mean, that's great that it's so doable now. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, Satoko, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, the way people think about women founders and innovators, anything at all to make it better for startups in Japan, what would you change? I think the most important thing is we should change our mind. Like, I think education itself for English is not that much bad in Japan because my kids is getting English lesson even they are three years old, you know, and they are public kindergarten. So I don't think the education itself is not bad. But just why Japanese people doesn't speak English well is... Because uh, they are thinking we don't need it. Because the、uh, Japanese market is not big, right?、Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I know you are from the United States, so I mean, global is not, not that much big, but、um, still, it's.、Uh, sure, you can, you can build a very, very big, successful company without ever leaving Japan. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but. Japanese can make some kind of success without speaking English even now. This thing is sadness for us. I mean, it's, we are happy. We are very happy situation. But still, at the same time, it is king of motivation for English. So. Well, I started to feel confused. Like, what is the matter? So, what, yeah, would it, would it just be like trying to get. People more interested in global markets, or not only interest, we need a bit more seriously. Like,、uh, for example, in a, I have many friends in Korea, they are very serious to go to global because they cannot survive in Korea. They are very, very, very aggressive for global. And so, just interest will not make such aggressive things, right? We need to be more, I don't know what it is, but.、Uh, Something to push us more outside of Japan. You know,、I've, a lot of the founders I've spoken to have said that a lot of times their VCs don't want them to go global. Exactly. You know, they want them to focus on Japan and like just, just focus on that IPO. And because going global, it's, it's risky, it takes a lot of money. Yeah, they will ask me to go global after IPO. Right. When it's much harder to do, actually. Yeah, and honestly, I think this is until Olympics, right? Yeah, recently, the Smart HR or B Dash has got a big fundraise from United States investors. But why they could get such a amount of money? Because、uh, I think they can go IPO before this Olympic, the after Olympic boom. <laughs> How do we? That's the big unknown, right? Everyone knows because up until the Olympics next year, I mean, the government has basically 
turned on the money faucets, right? There's all kinds of construction going on.、There's、yeah, I mean, a few years after Olympic is fine, but、uh, I think our company takes a bit more time to go to IPO. So just focusing to Japan. Now, in any case, the IPO is not goal. It's just one step, right? That is a big shift in attitude in Japanese startups and VCs, where I think ten, fifteen years ago, the whole way that venture capital worked in Japan was you'd find a company and you'd get them to IPO.、Mm-hmm. And they are still like that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of VCs like that model because they understand it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. And they they know success model. Yeah. And and so like okay well no no we don't want to IPO as a twenty million dollar company we want to IPO as a five hundred million dollar company or as a billion dollar company is it's kind of a new idea to Japanese yeah. VCs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. But I think Japanese VCs will change minds. I think it will take time to be more, but.、Um, hmm. Just saying, like a Japanese market or doesn't like women, such as way is too old or too legacy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I mean, I think particularly with the women entrepreneurs, I, I think what you said before, like if you have results,、mm. then okay, sure, there might be one or two people that are just don't want to invest in women founders or whatever. But there's going to be all the others who look at the results. Yeah, I have a funny story. Like I got.、Uh, Reject from one VC because of the reason, but recently we raised our revenue even more. So they changed mind. <laughs> Now they want to invest money to us. So in any case, the result is the best to make people move. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's what attracts so many people to startups. The results matter. If you go into a big company, you'll never actually know the results from your own actions.、Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're just part of a much bigger organization. But at startups, it's very clear. If you if you get the results, you get rewarded. If you don't get the results, then you go bankrupt. But this one will make me like work harder for revenue. So I think in the end, it's nice, <laughs> right? So, for example, like guys doesn't feel that so. They don't. Feel, they cannot be aggressive like I feel, right? Yeah, maybe it goes back to that same idea before, where fifty years ago, sixty years ago, the Japanese market was small, and Japanese companies they had to go overseas, they had to be aggressive because it was like their only option. They couldn't be safe and just focus on the domestic market. And exactly, this they, is happening in Korea and in Israel、yeah. just right now, and it's exactly what we don't have. Yeah, it's it's motivation. Yeah, it's honestly even me. I feel a bit sorry to my kids when I was working or when I went to a business trip, just leaving kids in Japan, going business trip. So that's why I need to make result to not feel sorry to kids. <laughs> so that's why I want to say the women entrepreneur can make such a motivation, right? More than Guys, I think <laughs> it, this will work positive for women. Yeah, I mean it, it's, but again, like you say, it's that that plus and minus that I think women they have to risk more, but、exactly. because you're risking more, you're much more motivated.、Yeah. Even my mom want me to be my kids even more 
like a week, every weekend or be a more traditional mom. Yeah. Was she a traditional mom? <laughs> I don't know. She's working in university. Oh. But still, she's uh, compared to her, my grandma was a bit more traditional type. She was wondering like uh, when I was went to university for physics. She was asking, okay, you're a woman. What women will do with atomic physics or physics, right? The same thing a man would do with atomic physics, right? Yeah, but, uh, but she doesn't want to destroy me or she doesn't want... Just she worry about... No, no, I think that's true. I mean, parents always want to protect their children. Yeah. They want what's best for their children. Exactly. And so it just, it just sounds like your family's getting less traditional every generation. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. It's my mom, and my mom is working in university. <laughs> now I'm here. You're not there. <laughs> it's little by little. Okay. <laughs> Probably next generation is maybe they will go to moon. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, listen, Satoko, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And we're back. Now, long-time listeners of Disrupting Japan know that I'm fascinated by artificial intelligence and machine learning. Ad fraud it seems like one of the best possible tests of pitting AI against human intelligence. Now, sure, the fact that computers can beat humans at chess or Go is impressive. Let's put two points in the computer column. But those games have clearly defined rules and a limited number of known possible states. Those contests are self-contained. Something like ad fraud or stock trading, however, that's a different kind of game altogether. Many of the rules are known in advance, but all kinds of information can be brought in from outside. There is no way for a computer to know what is relevant and what is not. And even when data mining reveals a pattern that might give the computer an edge, the humans adapt almost immediately. The AI doesn't really stand a chance. At least not at the moment. And that's why it makes sense that Satoko and the team are pretty secretive about exactly what parts of FIBED ad fraud detection involve AI which parts involve more traditional heuristics, and which parts are plain old-fashioned blacklists. Now, Satoko's story about how she founded and grew FIBIT is really interesting, not just as an inspirational story on its own, but because it contradicts the startup stories we've come to expect, that, that we've come to demand from our startup founders. The worst advice that you can give an aspiring founder is follow your passion. As if somehow simply having passion will lead to success. More often than not, the passion story has to be invented retroactively. After the company has become successful, the founder will create a just-so story to explain their motivation for starting the company. Satoko's story, however, is far more typical and far more honest. She and her friends founded Feebit because it was their best option at the time. It took a while, several years in fact, before they could find a way to apply their skills in a way that really added value to something that would scale. Solving ad fraud. 
The passion came later. The passion came when they saw that they were having an effect. They were making a difference. Their customers appreciated what they were doing, that they needed them. You see, you don't become successful because you are passionate. You become passionate because you are successful. If you've got a story about internet advertising, whether it involves fraud or not, Satoko and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show150 and let's talk. And if you feel like dropping by our LinkedIn or Facebook page to have a conversation, that would be great too. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.